we're going to talk a little bit today about how proud we get sometimes because God gives us all this stuff, and we actually think, for some reason, that it's because is that we get it because we're so great and everything. And one of the problems that judges have is that they um, they kind of get ego problems. Uh, the divorce rate among judges is really high because they go to work and. Can you imagine at work, whenever you went in a room, if everybody stood up? I mean, it'd just be kind of, after a while, you'd have kind of an over-exaggerated out of your importance. So the Lord has a way of kind of bringing me back down. All the letters I get say the Honorable Chris Kraft, which has nothing to do with whether I'm honorable. I mean, if you think getting elected as a politician makes you honorable, you've got a weird view of the world. Uh, (laughs) But I get all these letters, honorable, and, and I have inmates in the jail that from time to time try to get probation and, and, you know, try to get out. And they do all kinds of things. They they know I'm a Christian, and so when they get on the stand for their probation hearing, they'll write, I get probably three pounds of inmate mail a week. And they'll get on the stand and say, well, you know, I, I found Jesus in Depod, and uh, since I found Jesus, I need to go out and spread the gospel and all that. You know, and I'm thinking... First thing is, what did Jesus do to get in D-Pod in the jail for them to find him there? Because uh, that's the vice lord uh, pod. And so I didn't know Jesus was the vice lord. but uh, So I start asking him about that. And so, you know, I just, need, I just have this need to spread the gospel, Judge, because I'm a Christian now and everything. I said, you know, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament while he was in jail. You too can serve God while you're serving your time. They just really don't like that too much. But... <clears throat> But they, uh, I got a letter from an inmate about, about three months ago. Uh, and they're always, it's hard for them. Some of them can't spell too well. Uh, a lot of them drop out of school in seventh grade. They can't write too well. And so he wrote me this letter. Um, and it started off. And, and the whole letter, I mean, he was trying to curry my favor. He was just telling me how great I was and how I'm so patient and everything. And this particular roommate, I mean, this particular inmate, I, I really wasn't all that patient with him. Uh, because of all the stuff he called me when he was in court. But he started his letter off, instead of the honorable, as they usually, he says, the horrible Chris Kraft. <laughs> and then I read the letter, and I realized he was trying to get out, he was currying my favor. That's just kind of how he thought of me. All that stuff, the honorifics and things we get, totally meaningless about what, a, what person we really are. So when uh, you know people say that I'm cool and everything like that, I think, all right, what does she want? What does she want from me? But we're talking today about giving uh, and rejoicing. Uh, and Sandy has been going through Deuteronomy and, and, and through chapter 12 through 26, all the different commands and things that the Lord gives us. What we need to understand is He's not giving us these commands because He's set, setting out some laws so He'll have an excuse to punish us if, I, if we do wrong. He's given us these laws because we're fixing to go into our promised land fitting to go. We're fitting to go into our promised land. And the first time we tried this in Exodus 13 and 14, I mean Numbers 13 and 14, fixing to go in the promised land. And uh, and they said, well, gosh, I don't know. There's some big people in that country. You know, the 12 spies went in. Joshua Caleb came back. Uh, Both of them said, you know, this is a great land. We can go in and possess it. And that's the whole theme of this talk about Deuteronomy is take possession of the land. And they were going in there to possess the land. And then they had second thoughts. Well, I don't know if maybe this land that God's promised us, it's not really good. And ten of the spies came back and they said, you know, these, there's, there's some giants in this land. There's some big people. And, in fact, in Numbers it says there was one person, King Og, uh, O.G., King Og was so big 
he needed an iron bed because a wooden bed wouldn't keep him. And it was like a, a bed that was like 15 feet by 9 feet. So I mean, a huge guy. And so even though God had promised them the land, they really didn't want to go in and possess it because, well, it might be kind of scary. And it says even in Numbers 13 14 that some of the people said, gosh, you know, we had it great when we were back in Egypt being slaves, you know, making bricks without straw and stuff. I don't know if I want to go into this promised land. And so they said, we're not going in. And so for that reason, they went through ex- the exodus and those, all those years of wandering in the wilderness. And, you know, the first thing we have to do is we have to accept God's gift that he gives us. And we have to accept it with rejoicing. And this whole theme of accepting his gifts, we get things from God and we really don't want them when it comes down to it. He gives us a great way to live. He gives us a promised land where all of our gifts that he gives us are going to be exercised, where we're going to be fulfilled. And a lot of times we just don't want to go in there and take possession of it because it's kind of scary. It's just kind of scary. So, so you need to think first whether or not God, God, what God gives us, the life he wants us to live, the family he wants us to have, the job he wants us to do, that's our gift from God whether or not we really want that gift. Because a lot of times we don't accept that. We, we tend to mess that up. Excuse, excuse me about my mic. I'm going to move it down just a little. So when we start out in uh, Deuteronomy 26, <clears throat> they're fixing to go back in again after 40 years of wandering and make another try. And the last thing of all from 12 to 26, the last thing that the Lord is telling them through this is, with all these other commands, how to treat your wives and your families and all the ways you should live, that you really, really need to make a statement that this is God's land that he's given you and this is what you're supposed to do. So Deuteronomy 26 starts off, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, now, believe it or not, ever since from then until today, the Israelites are over there now. They still have never taken possession of the promised land. I mean, it's been over 2,000 years. And if you look at the original description when God promised Abraham, promised land, promised him, you're going to have this and that from the land all the way from here, this river and that river. Ever since then, they've never really quite taken it over because there's Palestinians, there's Canaanites, there's Jebusites, there's Moabites, all kinds of ites in the land. And so they just stopped and said, there's just so many ites, we just want to stop and just settle. They started intermingling with those other people. They started getting in the world. And and that's true in our lives today. We don't have everything the Lord has for us. He gives it to us, but we just don't want to take it because there's just too many ites. There's too many things in the way. And the Israelites still have not taken the land that the Lord gave them. So it says, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit. Once you go in and take possession... You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. In other words, where in the land you're going to live, you're going to take that first fruit, you're going to take it there. Uh, You shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I've come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. So when you take your land, the first thing you need to do is you need to take possession of it. 
I'm sorry about the mic here. Jimmy, you think I may move it down just a little? Okay. Um, you need to take possession of it, which we don't do because we're too scared because what the Lord gives us is so good that we're just afraid we're going to have to fight battles. When God gives us stuff, we have to fight those battles. I'm going to tell a little story in a minute about how uh, I became a judge. But the thing was, once I became a judge and I was appointed to be a judge, you know, two years later I had to run for election. And I was really mad at that because it was my court and it was my job. It wasn't the taxpayers' court. It was my job. And somebody had the audacity to run against me, the judge, in the election. And I didn't want those Canaanites in the land. You know, I I wanted them all to go away. When the Lord gave His people the promised land, there were other people already living in there, and they were going to have to, like, fight Him for it. Okay, but God said, but that's okay. I'll be with you. And if you follow my decrees and commands, I will be with you, and I will fight your battles for you. And I'll do it. But they didn't want to trust God because after they got in the land, they figured, well, you know, this is our land, and, 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 and who are we? We don't want to have to fight all these struggles. And, and all the giving to God and all the generous nature, how we want to give the Lord this and give the Lord that, all that kind of goes by the way because we claim the land for ourselves. Uh, we're owed this land. Who are these people to live in our land? And we get kind of bitter when we're challenged. And we think actually that all the money we make is actually money that we make. And that why should we have to give it to some minister or some missionary we're never going to meet or some poor person who doesn't have the sense to have the job that we have? Or some widow who just went ahead and let her husband die and, and, and she's, she doesn't have any support. Why do I have to take care of her? Why doesn't somebody? Else? Don't we have a government to do that? To take care of her? Isn't that what I pay my taxes for? Why are y'all bothering me with that? I need this money to keep doing my stuff in my land with my job and my career. And we get all into my, 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 my. And then once a year the preacher comes and says, all right, we need to raise the church budget. And then people say, all right, we need to help those people in Japan and the nuclear disaster. And we're thinking, well, what about my disaster at home? You know, my kids aren't obeying me. My wife's fussing at me. You know, what, what, what's going on? And, and we just get all caught up in ourselves and our problems. And the Lord says, that's not what we're to do. He says, when we move into the land, we're supposed to take possession of it. I don't care who's there. We take possession of our land because God has given it to us. And then the first thing we're supposed to do is take the first fruits, the first income that we get from the land that God gave us, that's His land, and we need to turn it back over to Him. And we need to declare, not only accept His gifts with rejoicing, we need to claim His promise as our possession. And then we need to acknowledge His gift by giving back the first fruits. Not fruits once we get time. First thing we get out of the land, we need to give that back. Well, you might think, well, gosh, man, I've been waiting and you know planting and finally I got this crop and we're hungry. And now we're going to enjoy it for ourselves. And the Lord says, no. The first part, you give back to me because you acknowledge that. You know, why do you think that churches usually raise about a third of their budget in the last two months of the year? December, I get all these things from the Red Cross and the this and the that and the people for society of the prevention of beat-up cars, you know, and things like that. You know, you can give us and you'll double your money because there's somebody else that will give us an extra $100 if you give us 100 right now in December. Well, it's because of taxes. We don't really want to give God our first fruits. We don't want to give Him anything at all. We want to wait. And then, well, you know, if Uncle Sam is going to get helping us out and, and we can get maybe 20% off our taxes, and then well, maybe we'll give some of that then. We don't really give God the first fruits. And I brought a little example to kind of show you. This is what God gives us. 
excuse me, he gives us this uh, beautiful red apple. It's still cold from the refrigerator. I mean, it'd be really, I haven't had breakfast yet. It'd be really good to bite into it. This is what God gives us. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to cut off the really juicy part of the outside, and we're supposed to give that to the Lord before we start eating it because this is the first part of the fruit that he gives us. But instead, here's what we end up giving the Lord. We give him the core. Okay? We eat all the good part, and then we get down to the part with the seeds and the kind of bitter part, getting close to the stem, and we're wondering, we look around and say, well, I don't know, I don't know how much more we can get out of this apple because there might be some seeds in it. So we'll give this 10% to God at the end of the year. And it should not be that way. We're going to look at the end of chapter 26 in a minute. We're going to realize that the Lord says that we need to give him off the top and we need to make sure that he gets the best part of the gift that we have. Suppose that um, in your work, they said, well, we're just going to give you most of your income around the holidays because that's when we're going to look and see how much our corporate taxes are worth. Well, you'd be kind of hungry the first few months of the year. Well, so are God and his, his kingdom. They, they get hungry because they count on us to give him. I'm not saying give all your tithe in January. I'm not saying to do that. But what I'm saying is we need, as we get from the Lord, we need to give from the Lord. We need to give our first fruits. Then also, we need to declare that we have received his gifts. We start thinking there are gifts for a while, that we've earned these gifts. We've done them on our own. So what we need to do is we need to declare that they're the receipt of our gifts. Looking at first fruits, uh, if we turn just for a minute to uh, Romans eleven sixteen, 16. Uh, just it's kind of an obscure verse. But they talk about first fruits. And Romans says this, if the dough offered as first fruits, the dough being not money, but dough that you need, well, you need money, dough that you work to prepare to make bread. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If you plant something, what grows from it is the same thing because it's the root. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. What does that mean? Well, you have to go back to Numbers again. Uh, and I'm sorry I'm flipping around, but Numbers 15, uh, God is saying, you know, Numbers 13 and 14... Uh, he was describing to them, you know, when you get in the land and then they rejected God's land and said, we're not going in there, that land. And finally they started saying, you know, that land probably is really no good. God's really trying to give us a bunch of bogus property. We really don't need that. Let's go back to Egypt and check out slavery. That's the ticket. Let's do that. And you might think, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, a lot of times, you know, we have this great avenue, this plan that God has for us. And we say, you know, I kind of like it in the world. I mean, he's given me this beautiful family. But, you know, I kind of like my secretary. You know, I kind of like uh, those lustful thoughts. I like those cable TV movies at 3 o'clock in the morning rather than the sleep the Lord gives me so I can be blessed by my work the next day. And so what we really do is we really say, you know, I know it's a great land and God says it's all right and this is what I'm supposed to do. And we have all these Canaanites, these big people in this land. But if we went back to Egypt, at least, I mean you know, after we're slaving all day away and getting no money for it, at least at night we could have a few hours of sleep. And we start missing the fact of all the gifts that God has given us. Well, in Numbers 15, verse 17, the Lord told Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, 
when you come into the land which I bring you, and this was the first time they tried. <laughs> the Lord tried to get them to take the promised land. And when you eat of the bread of land, you shall present a contribution to the Lord. Okay, they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and they haven't had any bread other than the manna. And at first, I mean, if, if we left today and God was raining money to us from the skies and bread, from, we'd kind of feel like we trust the Lord. But after doing that 40 years or 38 years, the Israelites said, well, you know, after a while they said, you know, all, you know, all these other lands, they have all these quail and all these meat and all All we get is this stupid manna, you know. After a while, you, you, you change your perspective. Everything is about you and what you get, what you've earned, and not what the Lord has given us. So... They come into the land. They didn't have any wheat when they were wandering. They come into the land, he says, and you get that first wheat crop going and you bake that first bread out of that first dough. He says, of the first of your dough, you shall present a loaf as a contribution, like a contribution from the threshing floor, so shall you present it. Some of the first of your dough you shall give to the Lord as a contribution throughout your generations. Now, this is not just that one time. It's throughout your generations. That first part, you give it to God. That first fruits, except in this case it was first dough. So in Romans, when he's talking about the Lord's gifts and everything, he says, uh, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. So when we give our part to God first, and I'm not talking about after we pay our cable bill, when we give our part to God first, we make everything else after that, which we get to keep, we make that holy. Do you want what God gives us? Our income, our careers, our families, our children, our jobs. Do we want that to be holy? Do we want it to be blessed by God? If we do, we give the first part of that to God and that first part makes the whole rest of the lump of dough holy. God will bless everything else that we have. Now, people look at it the other way. They look at what we have and say, well... Gosh, let me, see how much, let me see how much God blesses me. And if he blesses me, okay, then I'm going to give him the la- what I call the last fruits. <laughs> okay, yeah, those December contributions. Those last fruits we'll give God if what we have is holy. The problem is the stuff doesn't get blessed because we don't give God his part. I'm not going to do this for you, but suppose I knew you very well and I just really thought you were great. You were the honorable whoever. So I went by your house tomorrow morning and knocked on your door and said, you know, I'm going to give you $1,000. I'm going to give you $1,000 a day because you're great. And I'm going to give you $1,000 bills. And all I want you to do when I give you that $1,000 is give me $100 back. Do you think you'd take that deal? I think you would. So I come by your house. I give you $1,000. I say, all right, I need my $100. Okay. And you just take the $1,000 and you hand me $100 back. And I leave happy because we did what I asked. You leave happy because you've got $900. And I started doing that every day. <clears throat> of course, you'd move. You'd get a better house. Your wife not, would not have curtains. She'd have window treatments, <laughs> which are, cost much more than curtains, I found out. Your kids would dress better. You'd have better cars. You'd buy that extra car for yourself, that really nice car. Uh, You'd start changing the way you lived your life. And after a couple of months, I'd be coming by and say, oh, there's Chris coming by. You know, I, I just got out of the shower. I guess I might put a robe on to meet him, and I'll give you my $1,000 bills. And you, oh, here, here's your $100. You know, but would you come later? Because I was in the shower. You know. 
And two or three more months goes by, and after what? Well, you know, we can't really go on vacation because Chris is coming by. I'll just leave somebody else here, you know, to take the money. And after a while, you start taking it for granted. Well, I get $1,000 a day, and it's because I'm so great. And then, so you'll buy a bunch of stuff, and maybe you'll, you're going to go on vacation, or the wife needs some this or that. And so what you'll do is you'll kind of become obligated. You'll borrow a bunch of more from the world, get that, home, that third home equity loan, and you'll do this, that, and the other. And then I'll come by and see, look, if you don't mind, Chris, I, that's fine, but, you know, I've got to buy something today, but I, in two days I'll give you $300. I go, okay. So I'll give you $1,000, and I'll leave without $100. Well, I get a little unhappy. I mean, you're still the same great guy. I still love you just as much, but, you know, you're really not honoring what you're supposed to do. Of course, after three or four months, you're just taking the $1,000 because you got a lot of bills because you got not only the stuff that you got for me, but you decided you'd get stuff from the world. You know, Abraham was promised the promised land by God. And the Lord said, Abraham, look, as far as you can see, this is not only your land, but it's your children and your children's children for, for generations to come, forever. One of your issue will be on this land. This is all, will always be your land. Abraham said, okay. The very next chapter, there was severe famine in the land. So what did Abraham do? He pulled up stakes and went to Egypt. I know God said, this is my land, but it's, there's a famine here. This land's no good. So I'm going to go to the world and I'm going to get what they have. And after a couple of years, he comes back. But he picked up Hagar while he was down there. And she and Sarah kind of got into it, didn't they? And so he started trouble in his home because he decided, you know, God said, this is what I'm going to have. This is where I'm going to live. But, you know, somehow this is just not good enough for me. God doesn't have a plan for famine. He didn't realize we were going to have a famine. So I'm not going to stick it out on what the Lord gives me. His grace is not sufficient for me. I'm going to go to the world. So after a while, I start coming by the door and I knock and there's nobody there. So I just leave your money. I just put your $100 bills under the doorstop. And then one day I say, you know, this is not really working out. And you're there and you see me come to your house and I get your driveway and I walk right past and I go down the street and I give $1,000 to somebody else. And you get really upset. Wait a minute, I'm entitled to that money. That's my money. What's he doing? And you start arguing with me about it. Why, why am I not, you know, and, and, and of course you, you start, your businesses start hurting. Things start falling apart. Uh, your wife is mad at you. You don't know where your kids are at 10 o'clock at night. You know, things start working. The world starts calling on you for their debts. And you're thinking, why has God abandoned me? Why is Chris not coming by anymore? And you lose all faith in me and you don't really like me. You don't really trust me anymore. Well, you know, why am I going to continue to do what I'm doing for you when you just don't care? You're, the things that I'm interested in, getting that $100 back so I can use it for other stuff, you just don't really care about it. And we kind of get into that kind of mode after a while with God where, well, this is my stuff, God. You gave me this because I'm so great, because I'm doing this, or because I'm just lucky. I'm just a lucky guy. you know. And so I can do extra stuff. I can go out and buy this extra thing. I can, I can be indebted to the world and, and trust them for their bank loan just as much as I can trust you for the things you're going to give me. And slowly, you know, it's that whole old tome about frogs in water, you know, you throw a frog in, in a pot of boiling water and it'll jump right out because it's hot. But if you put him in the pot and you turn in a cold water and you swim around, you turn on that eye of the stove and that water gets hotter and hotter, the frog has no clue. And eventually, the frog's dead and the water's just boiling. He didn't realize that slowly that heat was turning up. 
And so they don't realize that. And that's the way we are with the Lord is that we, we fall apart from His commands and we say, you know, I just don't know about this first fruits business. And why do you think the Lord wants us to put it up first? It's because He wants us to have a heart for Him. He wants us to have a heart for what the Lord does for us. Now, keep in mind, this is not the tithe as such because when you're farming, uh, and as well I know from my years of farming, uh, when your first fruits start coming, you don't know what your total yield is going to be. But the main thing is you acknowledge, you declare these gifts are from God because by the first part you start taking and, and giving God from the top just as a statement to Him and you and the rest of the world that this is what we're going to do. So that's what he's saying. You're going to come into this land in these first few verses, and you need to do this. Um, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, uh, it says, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus, God is telling us, we raised Christ. I gave you my son, and I raised him from the dead as the firstfruits to show you where my heart is that I'm putting you first. I'm killing my son. I'm putting you first. And he's the first fruits. In 1523, he says, Each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. That's our guarantee. It's like the Bible says, we have the earnest of the Spirit, those of you all in real estate, some of you all hurting right now. Um, it's like, that's the earnest money that's put down. The first fruits coming down, and God is saying, I'm declaring that... I'm putting you first by showing you first, my son, I'm giving you as the first fruits. Now, if we go on and read the next part, next paragraph, starting Deuteronomy 26, verse 5, and you shall make response before the Lord your God. We need to respond. And then he talks about Abraham. A wandering Aramean was my father. He went down. Abraham was not an Israelite, was he? Because Israel was his son. Okay, so he, he was near me. He went down into Egypt and sojourned there. Remember when the fam, there was famine and the Lord sent his people to Egypt to take care of them? It wasn't Abraham jumping ship, it was the Lord saying, There's a famine, and sending them to the land of Goshen in Egypt and Pharaoh and Moses, the whole bit, where they're all being raised up. Uh, and of course, at the time of the famine, they were being kept safe in Egypt at God's command while all the Canaanites and Jebusites and Moabites and all the otherites, they were dying off and getting weak. Well, the Lord knew that he was going to help them to go into the promised land and take possession of it, so he was weakening their enemies, okay, while they were there being held safe in Egypt at God's command, not because they jumped shift and, I know what I'll do, I'll get a home equity loan, that'll solve my budget problems. You know, that's what we think. But that's not, was not God's plan. So... He went down to Egypt, sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. Remember how the Israelites increased, had a bunch of children. They were fruitful and multiplied. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid us on hard labor. We cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. Remember all the eldest sons dying, the rivers turning to blood, and then all the people, the, the Egyptians were so concerned that they were not only making the Israelites leave and go back to the promised land, but they were giving them jewels and riches to get them out of town, just as God wanted. That's the way we get money from the world. 
is when the world gives us money because they fear God um, rather than our getting money from the world because we fear that, that God is not going to take care of us. He brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And by the way, back then, you know, if you wander in the desert for 38 years, milk and honey is looking pretty good, isn't it? I mean, it really is. You've got calcium deficiencies. You don't have a bunch of trees out in the desert. Uh, milk and honey is something you really want. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Sojourner basically is an alien, somebody that's, that's not a Jew, somebody that's traveling with you but is not, not really with you, kind of like a Gentile. Well, when we look at that, that next paragraph, after we've declared that, that we've received his gifts, then we decide that we, have, we show that we have a need for his deliverance. Okay? We need God's deliverance. And what he's saying is here, after you go take your first fruits to God and you declare and receive, that you're receiving His gifts, not anything you've done, then you also need to admit that we need to be delivered. Now, that keeps me from getting a big, big head. People stand up when I come in the room all day, totally nothing to do with me. It's just because of the job. It, I, you could have the worst person they'd have to stand up for because they have that rope they're wearing. I come home at night. My wife didn't stand up when I come in the room. <laughs> I was about two weeks into being a judge when we had that little battle. Because I came home, and she was kind of getting on me about why I didn't take out the garbage. It's been stinking all day. Now, okay. I didn't understand, honey. I'm a judge. So I put my foot down. She put hers right on top of it. And, he, and, and, and the Lord, a lot of us have wives that, the Lord gives us as a gift to keep us humble. And, and that's the way that is. Uh, judges get, a, after a while, they think people laugh because their jokes are really funny. You know, it's not. It's because the judge told the joke. And, and, and it's not everybody. It's just the people that are working there that have to listen to that judge day in and day out. They've got to put up with it or her. But we lose all sight of that, and we actually think that we were special for some reason, even because we're treated special for some completely different reason. And it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, so we have problems with judges. We formed a, in Tennessee, we performed a special thing called the Judicial Family Institute to try to help judges keep families together for that very reason because they fall apart. Judges, after just a few years of being a judge, they're off having an, an affair with somebody else. They really appreciate that. It'll still suck up to them when they don't deserve being sucked up to. And it's just a real problem. So you have a need for his deliverance. And you talk about how you were mistreated in Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt. The Jews back in Numbers 13 and 14 were saying, no, understand, we had it good back in Egypt. I mean, you forget, you forget all your struggles because the Lord takes care of us so well that we forget all that. Uh, we don't understand what the Lord has done to us or for us because we, we forget about it. So if you look at Deuteronomy 6.10, we're going to track back, and this was covered way back when in the fall. Uh, this is the way we get. How can we rejoice in giving when we really think that we're giving God our stuff? You know, when you realize you're giving God His stuff back, it's, it's so much easier and more joyful to give it to Him. You know it's yours, not, not yours to start with. So Deuteronomy 6.10, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, 
and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig. Who dug all that stuff? All the enemies in the land. They dug the wells. They built the cities. And God ran them all up through the, out through the famine and through supporting His Israelites. And the Israelites move into a land that's already set up, ready for them to go. So it says, when you, and you've got all these houses full of good things you didn't fill, cisterns you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We're going to forget that Egypt wasn't all that good. And so we're just not going to care. So what we need to do is, we need to keep in mind and declare our need for his deliverance. We need to say, Egypt was not good. We were slaves. We were dying. And now we're in the new God's land. Even though we have enemies that we have to fight, we're in God's land. We forget that. And then, E, we have to confess that we owe him 100%. When we realize that we owe them 100% and we're only going to give back 10%, it makes it a lot easier for us to give. helps us to rejoice. Turn to Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. That first one is when you first move in and all these wells you didn't dig and all these houses full of things you didn't buy that you're given. But now he says, after you've been there a while, Deuteronomy 8, 11. And a lot of you, some of you are hurting in the economy now. There's famine in your land. Okay? The Lord knows that there's famine in the land. Some of you are doing okay and you're thinking, the reason that I've managed to dodge this economy is because I'm so great or because I'm just really talented at what I do. And it's really the income that you're getting. It's not what God is giving you. Here's what he says about that. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes. And this is not just in giving your 10%, but this is also all the way back through chapter 12, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. These aren't the things the other the enemies built that God gave you. Then after you've been in land a while, you start building your own houses and you start reforming the land to your taste. And when your herds and flocks multiply, and when your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. We forget what he delivered us from. He brought you water out of the flinty rock he fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers didn't know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Even the tests that he gave us are to make us better in the end. You know, all the battles the Israelites had to fight in their 38 years of wandering made them really strong. And the Bible says that everyone who doubted God and would not go into the promised land the first time, they had all died in the wilderness. And so we had a people who were strong, who all trusted God. And he says, um, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers, 
as it is this day. If you're a hot jock and you're making great money, if you made great grades in medical school or law school or great car salesman or whatever it is, you need to understand you're only that way because God gave you that gift. It's nothing of you. It's not of you. Uh, you know, there's a verse in Revelation that talks about how, you know, we think we're really hot stuff. And when he's talking to one of the churches, he said, you're really just naked and blind and pitiful. Now, we're not really rejoicing right now, but we need to understand until we have this attitude, we're not going to rejoice in giving to God and rejoice in what God is giving us. It's kind of hard if we think that, well, really God had a little to do with it because it's mostly us. That's not true. I don't care where we are in life. Um, a lot of people thought I was a real hot shot politically when I became a judge. I was appointed by Governor McWhorter. And uh, for two or three weeks, people started sucking up to it until they realized what I was really like. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, the Lord changed the laws in, sept- in September, about 16, 17 years ago, to where the governor couldn't appoint who he wanted because they knew uh, Ned McWhorter was in there and they knew Don Sunquist was going to be elected. And uh, so the Democratic legislature didn't want Don Sunquist to appoint whoever he wanted. So they changed the law so it had to go through a committee of 15 Democrats. Before, and then the governor would select three. And that started September 1 uh, when the judge retired that I replaced. And I thought, and my brother was a, had been a Republican in the legislature and my dad had been Howard Baker's fundraiser in Memphis. So I knew I had no chance at all of being appointed by a Democrat. And I was, ap- I was completely apolitical. I've been in the DA's office 12 years, and I, I mean, you, couldn't, you can't get involved in politics when you were working in the DA's office in Memphis. So I knew nothing about nothing. I was Mr. Stupid. But I applied just to get on the governor's list so I could see how it went, because maybe someday I thought the Mueller might have this for me. And uh, found out later on, I didn't know what was going on, but all the Democrats, they were worried... Half of them were back in one person, and half of them were back in another person. The Democratic Party chairman was back in one person. Uh, another important Democrat was back in somebody else. And they, didn't want, they each wanted their own person to get it, and so they put me on the list because they knew that there's no way I could be appointed because I was apolitical and knew nobody. So I made the list. Even though I was just on a list, people started sucking up to me in the elevator in case someday I might get appointed. So I talked to everybody I knew that was Democratic. I mean, if the elevator guy was a Democrat, I'd say, would you call Ned McWhorter for me? Because I, I didn't know anybody. I knew no politicians. And uh, four months went by, and nothing happened. And everybody said, well, why? It's because these two Democrats were fighting each other, and they are politically destroying each other. Uh, and uh, McWhorter left and went campaigning for Bredesen, who lost to Sunquist before he became governor. And so, I was just, and, and so I decided, I asked Roland Wilson, some of y'all remember him, and two or three other people just to pray for what God would have in this. And um, then I got a call in four months from McWhorter's lawyer and said, who do you know in Nashville? I said, I don't know anybody in Nashville. That's my problem. He said, well, you've just been appointed judge. And I said, really, what did you say your name was? Now, I found out later that you're supposed to talk to the governor's lawyer. That's who all these people are supposed to... I didn't even know he had a lawyer or what his name was. And they said, you've just been appointed. I said, who do you know? I said, have you even talked to McWhorter? I said, I've ne- nobody ever ca- asked me to be interviewed. I, I, I mean, they interviewed the other two candidates. They didn't even call me because I was a nobody. 
And he said, who do you know the governor knows? And I thought for a second, I said, well, I guess we know the same God. I mean, you know, I kind of said that as a joke. We live in the same universe, I said, but, you know. And I became governor, and I found out later on what happened is they destroyed each other politically with all their enemies, and they talked to all their local, local legislative delegation. You're not appointing this person. You're not appointing this person. So he decided he wasn't going to appoint anybody, and he was going to leave office without making an appointment. And the chief justice of the Supreme Court called him and said, we're getting a backlog in the jail in Shelby County. You've got to appoint somebody. And so he said, all right, whoever, appoint that other guy. Uh, that night, I was reading in my Bible reading in the Old Testament, uh, and it just happened where the Israelites surrounded this town, and the Lord kept saying, you don't need this many soldiers. You don't, you know, telling people, oh, just go home, you don't need this many soldiers. And they surrounded a town, and they threw pots down, and their enemies were in the town drunk, and they all slayed themselves. Um, and I'm thinking, well, that must be what happened. And people say, well, Kraft is a big Democratic power broker. You know, I said, no, I don't know anybody. Um, and uh, I've been trying to thank Governor McWhorter for 16 years. I went to the N- Jimmy Nathan's Coon Supper twice. He wasn't there. And he died last week. McWhorter did. And I've never met him. And there's never been anybody appointed in the history of Tennessee when they didn't at least go interview for the job with somebody that works for McWhorter. Well, I mean, that was a promised land. I mean, do you think that I'm not going to give God from the first fruits of my income from that job. It's just incredible. Now, there are bitter parts. I mean, two years later, uh, since I was supposed to be this flaming liberal Democrat, I had a Republican run against me in the election, and I had to fight that. Two years after that, I had a, uh, a Democrat who said that I was some Nazi Republican and, and, and because of the, you know, I beat this other guy and, you know, ran against me. You know, and I mean, there were still enemies in the land, and I had to, like, work. I didn't want to get to know everybody in our county. I didn't want to have to go drive out to Capable and Eads and, and campaign and get to know a lot of elected officials. But the Lord wanted me to do that. So He literally drove me out. You know, But I had absolutely nothing to do with that. And when you realize that it's totally God and not you, um, you tend not to mind giving Him back some of His stuff. And, and, and every now and then when I get to a time where I think, well, you know, gosh, I'm really neat. You know, I'm a, I'm a judge and everything, and I get to order people around in courtrooms and stuff. All that comes back to me. You don't understand, Kraft, you don't deserve any of this. This was, this was just completely God, and, and I was literally so incompetent politically that I had nothing to do with it. And that's what we need to understand about our wealth and our income and our, our families and things like that. Um, when I got married, I was not a very good husband. And uh, my wife really wanted children. I really didn't care one way or the other. I just wanted to be married and get on with my career. You know, in Genesis 3, you have, uh, uh, talks about how when Adam sinned, uh, you know, his, his curse would be he'd have to work hard all his life. Wife's curse was she'd have to worry about her family and her children all the time. And that's just the difference in the sexes. Even though women work, men worry about their kids now. Well, we got married and everything was fine. Seven, eight years goes by, we don't have any children. And we go to the doctor and they tell Susie, you know, there's seven or eight reasons why you can't have children. And unless you have children next three years, because she had, we found that she had endometriosis and all kinds of other imbalances. There were like a bunch of reasons why she couldn't have children. And she really wanted children. And here I was working. I was going, I'd finished farming. I was going to law school at night, working during the day. And, and I was tired and it was hard. And I come home and I get nothing but tears from my wife. She's completely unhappy. Why is God not giving me a child? 
And I was kind of bitter about it, and I was mad at God about it, and I was mad at her because I thought when I got married, she, she told me I was Prince Charming before we got married, and I thought she'd always think that of me. And after a couple of days, I could, had to start being myself. It was hard for me to listen to. I come home and listen to a bunch of misery. So I started thinking of reasons why I don't have to come home. You know, I was starting to let her down. And she started having a lot of pain. And we were going to have to have a hysterectomy, but she didn't want to because she thought maybe God would work some miracle. Well, when Sarah was 99, you know, she, and I, I would share all these scriptures with her. And, and, and I really didn't understand her pain. I wasn't a good listener. I didn't understand her pain. I was kind of shouting scriptures at her. I remember one day when I said, I read her this verse. I said, Blessed are you, barren, for you shall have a spiritual child. So why don't you, you know, she, I think she threw the Bible back at me. She said, I, you can't hold a spiritual child. I mean, she was just absolutely miserable. This was her promised land that God wouldn't give me. And finally, the day came. And, and I mean, I had a lot of people praying for us. Any of y'all have gone through the heartbreak of infertility. It's, it just guts the, the girl. And I spent three or four years really getting close and trying to love Susie and learn and listen to her. Developed a lot of skills during that time. I also managed to graduate from law school. And they told us we had to have a baby or we wouldn't be able to in three years. I just started law school. If we'd had a baby, I would have had to quit law school. Uh, and so we had competing interest here. And I remember driving her to the hospital, and they said, well, it hurts. She's in so much pain. They had to do some kind of weird medical, a histosarpingiogram or something. They're going to look, try to see if somehow they could, she could still have a child and they could keep all that open and not have to do the hysterectomy. And we weren't going to know till the surgery. And I drove her to the hospital and I was sitting in my car praying, Lord, help me to be a better husband to her and be a, a good father to our adopted children. And went back in and they called me and said, I'm sorry, Mr. Kraft, they can't do the surgery. Your wife is really upset. I said, why? He said, she's pregnant. <laughs> she had become hysterical when they told her that. And they thought, and they were asking her, well, that's all right, we can still do the hysterectomy and abort the baby if you want. She said, no, that's not why I'm crying. So we had that little boy. And three years later, because pregnancy is the only cure for endometriosis, three years later we had a little girl. Then she had to have the hysterectomy. But do you think for a minute I was ever going to neglect that little boy that God had given us after so much agony and prayer and worry because I knew that child was from God. We named him John after the disciple that Jesus loved, and he's now a minister. He's a PCA minister. But, I mean, you realize some things. Think back on your life and realize how God gives us these things because they're all from God, and we owe him everything, not just a portion. We need to confess that we had all to him, not just a portion, when we move into his land. We also need to rejoice in His gifts with the church and the world. 1 Corinthians 9. <clears throat> 5 through 15. I'm going to read the whole part. I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you promised. They promised the Corinthians had promised to give a gift and they hadn't paid it yet. They weren't really first fruiting, were they? So Paul says, I'm going to encourage you all by sending the brothers there to collect it. But he also said this, he said, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not an exaction. He wants it to be a willing gift, not an exaction. So many of us give to God because we have to, because it says so. 
Well, I got to give God his 10%, otherwise, you know, he'll send Satan after me or something. So I got to do it. Or I got to do it because my wife wants to tie. She believes in that stuff. Um, but he says, I want it to be a willing gift, not some kind of tax. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He blesses the rest of the dough when we give the first fruits. Each one must gift as he's decided in his heart, not as decided in the Bible. What does your heart say you should give? We need to change our hearts and make them joyful hearts to the Lord. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give because you have to give. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And don't say, all right, I'll be cheerful. You know, that's not the way it is. If you're not cheerful when you're giving, you're not realizing that God gave you everything. I realized that three years ago when I was having... My wife kept after me to have a colonoscopy. I said, I don't want to have one of those things. You know, Brett, uh, one of the Bible, uh, one of the uh, Kansas City guys, Brett, I forgot Brett's last name, uh, George Brett, had to have a colonoscopy and a hemorrhoid operation. And he said, well, newspapers asked me, he said, well, all my problems are behind me now. Uh, I didn't want to have one of those, but I had one. And I was 55 and I had one. And the doctor said, yeah, you're fine, except there's this one little spot i got to take out about a half a foot of your intestine. And I said, what? He says, yeah, it's, it's precancerous, and if you hadn't had a colonoscopy in three or four years, you'd probably be dead of cancer. And I said, well, you're going to take it out? He said, yeah, it's just, it's just about a half a foot. I'll just take it out. He said, well, don't I need that? And he said, oh, you've got plenty. But as I was laying in the hospital having six inches of my intestine removed, I was starting to realize, you know, everything I have is from God. This could go at any minute. If you look at John 6, 44, it says that no one comes, Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to me. Our very salvation. And if you look at that word draw in Greek, it really means drag. It means drag, literally. In other words, God has to drag us kicking and screaming to Jesus to even save us. It's all from God. It's all His. It's not ours. And we need to realize that. Um, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, You'll be enriched in every way to be generous. God will give you money so that you can be generous if you are generous. It's kind of like the prosperity gospel, but it's in the Bible. He says if we give, He'll give us more so that we can give more. Through us will produce, if you, if you give generously everybody, through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they'll glorify God because of your submission flowing your, from your confession of the gospel of Christ, that everything's God's, we're hopeless without Him, we need to be delivered, and the generation of your contribution for them and for all others. It says, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, He gives us grace. If you look at Parable of the Talents in Matthew, I used to think that was really terrible when I was a kid. That they, he gave, he says, I'm going to give you all according to your ability. So he gave one guy five talents. He must have been really good at making money. He gave another guy two talents. Another guy, he just gave him one. The guy that just had one talent buried it in the ground, remember, didn't invest it. The guy with five made five. The guy with two made two. One buried it in the ground. And when he came back, he cursed him. He said, you know, I gave you this money 
because I wanted you to do something with it. And you did nothing with it. But at least the guy with the one talent buried it in the ground and gave it back to God. What we do with our money is, God gives us our money. We don't give it back to Him. We spend it on ourselves. Suppose He came to the guy with the talents and said, you didn't make any money off this town. He says, no. Also, I, I really took it. It was in the ground, but I dug it back up. And I had to get one of these big widescreen TVs for the house. And so I don't have anything to give you back because I spent your money on me. That would be even worse. So we need to get everything in the right perspective, I think. So when we look, we have to rejoice in His gifts with the church in the world. Uh, it says, you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things. The Levites, they are the priests. The aliens are sojourners among you, all the foreigners, widows and orphans. Don't commingle God's portion with your own. You have to set aside the sacred portion from your household. And it says, I've got three, four minutes, I'm sorry. I knew I'd go over time. Um, we need to get it out of our house. Uh, if you look at uh, verse 13 and 14, it says, I have removed from my house the sacred portion. Get it out of your household budget. Set it aside for God as the first fruits that are going for Him. Um, then you need to ask for a blessing in return. We're seeing how God, as we give Him this 10%, as we give it off the top, as we give it first as first fruits, God blesses the rest of the lump of the dough. Uh, and, and if you look at the parable of the talents, the fellow with the five talents got the one talent. And when I first read that, I said, that's not fair. He's got more money than this poor guy with only one talent. Why do we give it him? It's because he does the most with it for the kingdom. You know, these verses that say, that talk about God's supply and, and, and our giving to him and everything, and they say, you know, um, if, you're, if you're faithful over much, I mean, excuse me, if you're faithful over little, you'll be faithful over much. But if you're not even faithful over little, why would God entrust you with the true riches? So this is the best investment that I know of, is investing in God's kingdom. Because that, that way you'll get what you're supposed to get from God. You'll help the kingdom, and everything that you do will be blessed. Uh, Malachi 3, and we don't have time because I'm running out of time, but you know, that's the portion that says, How have we robbed you? You've robbed us of our tithes and offerings. You know, that's how you've robbed me, uh, God. People don't read the last part of that verse, the last three or four verses. What it, it doesn't talk about God's curse because you robbed him. It says that if you do give it, you know, the part where he says, I dare you to test me. Test me in this. See if you give me your first fruits off the top. How I won't bless your socks off. I'll just fill your stronghold, your storage houses. I'll fill it all. Test and see if I'll do as I promised to you. And then it says, and I love the work in King James, it says, and your plants won't cast their fruit. It says your vines will produce. So if you're a car salesman and you're not tithing and you start tithing, the Lord says, hey, if, if I get this guy some more cars to sell, my kingdom will get some more money. He'll start blessing the fruits of our efforts because we give to him and remember it's his. Now, if we give out of obligation, it's just a matter of duty. We're under the law. But if we give because everything is God's, because we need deliverance from Him, and we can't do it without God, then we say, it's a blessing. Please, let me hurry. I can't wait till the first of the month so I can give God His check to see how He's going to bless me for the rest of the month. Not the prosperity gospel, but you're just so grateful for what He's done for you. 
And the Israelites moved into that land at the end of Deuteronomy. And, well, they just never really quite took over and they thought they'd just settle in. And they're still fighting. And Ishmael's children and Israel's children are still fighting right now while we're talking because Abraham didn't trust God to stay in the promised land. Now, the last few verses are general. I'm not going to read those, 16 through 19. But we have to observe his decrees and then enjoy the rewards. And if we look at the last verse, which we'll put on here, this is what we have to look forward to. The next slide. The Lord has declared this day that you're his people, his treasured possession, as he promised. He will set you in praise, fame, and honor, high above all the nations he has made. And you'll be a people holy to the Lord, as he promised. If we treasure God and make him our treasure, and we give him off the top, acknowledging to him that everything we have is his, and we keep all of the stuff he wants from us separate from spending on ourselves, and we keep all these decrees, and there are a lot of them, because we love him, He's going to bless our socks off. And that's just a promise from the Word of God. So what we need to do is not work so much on our obedience in this lesson, but on what our heart is like. We need to change our heart and have a heart for Christ, and all of the obedience will follow from that. Let's pray. Lord, it's so hard when we start talking about money and possessions and people saying, well, you know, I don't make enough to tithe. I just don't make enough to tithe. Lord... Speak to our heart and help us to realize that it's just a percentage. We can't say we don't make enough. Really, we spend too much to tithe. It's not that we don't make enough. It's because we spend too much on ourselves. We do not acknowledge with rejoicing what you did for us, the scrapes you've pulled us out of, the things that haven't happened to us that could have, the fact that you are our God and we are your prized possession. So change our hearts, Lord. Give us hearts for you to rejoice in giving and bless us in return. In Jesus' name, amen.